He is risen indeed. Amen. I'm wondering today if you've ever had the situation where you did all of the right things the right way and it still didn't work out. Ever, Ever been there? It's kind of frustrating, isn't it? You do all of the right things the right way and it just doesn't work out. A few years ago, one of my friends took a position at a church as a family pastor. Uh, He went to the church with high hopes, uh, a lot of excitement, and was very encouraged. And within a year, the elders had to remove the senior pastor for multiple affairs. He was in a spot where he, he was shocked, he was surprised, And he had to work through some things. And while he was working through some things, he had to also manage stuff at the church. Makes sense. Meanwhile, the pastor who was let go tried to sue the church for wrongful termination. In his words, the senior pastor's words, it's my church. Just think about that for a moment. It's my church. Meanwhile, my friend is trying to navigate this, and I walked with him through it, so I I think I can share with you from an unbiased position some of the things that he had to deal with and, and to have conversations with people and people, of course, leaving the church because of this and, and, and him trying to love them in those situations and then taking on more responsibility while all of this is going on. Shortly after the judge Uh, ruled in favor of the church and not the former pastor, they hired quickly. So quickly, they didn't really vet the senior pastor. And so my friend who is on staff is now working for a person who is a tyrant. And this person, though there is not any um, adultery, there there is a lot of micromanaging There is uh, 60, 70, 80 hours of expected work that he's dealing with. In the meantime, in a place of exhaustion, he says, "This I I can't continue here, Kenny. What should I do? And as we began to pray together and talk through it, he put his resume out to a few places. And one church, it just seemed like the perfect church for him. Uh, They interviewed, they went through it, and they said, I'm so sorry, Uh, But we don't think you're the right candidate because we see that there's something just like you're wounded and you're hurt. And so he's thinking to himself, I've done all of the right things the right way and I'm serving the Lord and I'm trying to do it well and, and, and I need to land somewhere healthy and good, but the response is that I'm not healthy. And maybe you've had a similar experience in your own life. Those are difficult pills to swallow. My friend, after taking some time uh, and seeking godly counsel, said this, I was wounded, and they made the right decision. And God was at work in doing some things in my own heart that he needed to address. So I'm not sure what's going on in your world right now, but let me make this suggestion, that perhaps God wants to work in your heart even today. That there is a cleansing that he wants to do inside that we all need and that we can all use. And not because if we do these things the right way, then God has to bless us. That's, that's not what I'm saying. 
But I am saying that sometimes things don't work out and God uses that to show us what's going on in the inside. And maybe God wants to do that today. And if you would be willing today to just put your hands out as we begin to say, okay, God, what you have for me, I'm going to receive. And what you want to take from me, you can have. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we need you. We thank you and we praise you. And I would ask right now that you would have your cleansing work done today in all of our hearts, in all of our lives, and for your glory. That, Lord, we have our hands out saying whatever you want to give us we'll receive and whatever you want to take you can have because we recognize that sometimes we do things, we try to do things the right way for the right reasons even, and it doesn't work out. And a part of that is because you're doing something and you're showing us something and you're at work. And so we want to receive that today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this is the verse for uh, this entire series. This is the passage for this entire series. And it, when Matt and I started to talk through this series, we recognized that all of us have a heavy yoke that we feel like we're carrying, and, and we need to come to Jesus. And this verse really identified that. Let me read it for you. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hey, you labor? You heavy laden? Good. There's a promise here. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A few weeks ago, we talked about this, this yoke being the yoke of the Torah, and that different rabbis had different ways of fulfilling this Torah, these 613 rules, what it might look like. And you may have a similar experience in your own life. A good Christian does these sorts of things, right? A good Christian will do this or not do this. And sometimes we stack burdens on us that aren't there. And Jesus says this simply, take my yoke. Here is my teaching. Here is my understanding. Here is my way. And if you would receive my way, it's much lighter than what you've stacked on yourself. And though he was talking to a first century audience, that still works for us and is true for us today. As Matt and I began to talk about this passage, we wanted to pick it up and look at it from some different angles. And you've heard many of those angles already. We talked about justification right from the very beginning. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about sanctification together. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about glorification. This week, we're going to talk about atonement. You can rest because your price is paid. This at-one-ment. It's a word that we made up <laughs> in the English language. It's, it's not directly from the Hebrew the Hebrew word actually means to smear, to cover, or to hide. But we use the word at one because it's the result of the smearing, of the covering, of the hiding, that we are made at one and specifically at one with God. And by extension, at one with one another. At one. Next week, we're going to talk about adoption uh, on Easter Sunday. We're looking forward to that as we started to talk through pictures. 
that, that really made sense with this whole rest. One of the pictures is the ordinance of baptism. Just think about that for a moment. Here we go down into the baptismal waters to say, hey, symbolically, I have, I have been soiled from my own sin and Jesus is cleansing me as I die to self and rise up alive in him. My burden is light. It's a beautiful picture. If you're saying to yourself even now, hey, my next step of faith is baptism, I want to encourage you to sign up for that. It's still not too late. Uh, it might be a little tricky to meet with you before next Sunday, but we, we want to try to make that happen, if at all possible, because, I, I j just imagine this, here it is, Easter Sunday, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and a line of people are getting baptized. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Don't you love that? So please consider that. If, if, uh, if that's your conviction and this is your next step of faith, please consider doing that. This issue of atonement, though, is an issue that has been woven throughout the scriptures. In fact, I would say right from the very beginning, Adam and Eve immediately after they sin, what do they do? They hide. In hiding, what do they do? They clothe themselves with fig leaves. Like, like somehow God can't see them. They're covered in these fig leaves. But that doesn't work. In uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we see that, that God actually clothes them and there's this picture that takes place, an atoning picture that takes place. One, that God is going to have a sacrifice. And that God's sacrifice will cover the shame of the people. It's not something that they can do themselves. It's not a work that is theirs to do, but it's something that God uniquely does for them. And we see that right from the very beginning of scriptures, and it's woven throughout in Leviticus, we see that there, there are specific steps, and these specific steps are for a specific day, and this specific day is called the Day of Atonement. We'll walk through that in just a moment, but before we do, I, I want to take your brain uh, to a different place. It's the second temple in the first century. Whoops, there it is. The second temple. And what we're going to see as we walk through the atonement together is a cleansing that starts way back in the Holy of Holies and works its way through the inner courts and the outer courts and to the very gates and out into the nations, pours out into the nations. It's a symbolic thing of what God does in our own lives if we would be willing to receive it. One of the problems that we have I think, in Western Christianity is this, that we just jump to the end. I love Resurrection Sunday. I love Easter. I love talking about Easter. I love the beautiful picture of it. I love to live in that place of Easter. But to get to Easter, we have to go through Good Friday. And it's at Good Friday that we feel the weight and the heaviness of our sins. But we want to skip to Easter Sunday and we do that. We live that place a lot. Today, I just want to tell you, we're going to be a little bit technical, but we're going to see the weight of what the children of Israel had to go through for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So with that in mind, uh, let's start to talk about that. We're going to be in a few places today. If you have your Bibles, get ready. We're going to be in Leviticus. We're going to be in Hebrews. 
and a few places in between as we work through these passages together. The Day of Atonement is a unique day. It's unique in that it's primarily the responsibility of the high priest to make this day work. The high priest functions as a mediator, a mediator between God and God's people. And that's a very important piece. On the one hand, he's going to prepare a place for God to be. On the other hand, he's going to prepare a way for God's people to meet God. He's going to prepare a way for God to pour out his love and his mercy, not just onto the people, but onto the nations. And it's weighty. And when I say it's weighty, I mean this. There were high priests that lost their lives doing this, what we're about to talk about. They lost their lives because they went into it flippantly, or they went into it without being precise and very careful. They lost their lives. It's weighty. And it's important. And the children of Israel need it. For this to work, we're going to walk through these different elements of the day. They're found in Leviticus chapter 16. And uh, we're not going to read each passage just because of the volume of things. But I I do want to encourage you to use this supplementally to go back and to read this passage. Uh, It's very important. But let me outline it and highlight a few things. It starts with the preparation. Preparation of the priest. The priest has to be prepared. The priest has to do a lot of ceremonial things to make himself prepared. And there has to be backup. Just in case something happens to him, uh, this day of atonement can be accomplished and can be completed. So there has to be backup. So multiple people are preparing. As they prepare, there comes a point in the temple where sacrifices Uh, sacrificial animals, rather, are brought into the area. Five, a bull, two goats, and two rams. These are going to be very important pieces as we walk through it. The high priest is going to begin by going up to the bull and placing his hands on the bull's head. As he places his hands on the head, he's starting to confess his own sin. That bull is going to be the sacrifice for the high priest. The high priest needs that sacrifice to be cleansed. It's an important piece of all of this because without that cleansing, he can't go into the presence of God. This atonement, this covering, this hiding, he can't go before the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. So this is an important piece. So he goes over to the bull and he confesses his sins. By the way, the bull is an amazing animal. It's very expensive to keep. It was very expensive to have. It was very difficult to have. And it was the high priest's sacrifice. And you might be thinking, well, why would the high priest have this unique sacrifice compared to what the children of Israel have? And the answer is this. The high priest should have known better. The high priest is is guilty It's more weighty on him because he should have known better than to sin. He had the information and the ability to not, and he did. And so uh, this bull is, is a picture of the bigger sacrifice that this high priest has to make. He then goes to another section of the court where the goats are. 
there is a box that has two, they're kind of like dice. And on one of the dice says, for Yahweh. On the other dice is for Azazel. If we had time, we, we could dig in deep on these, on these terms. They're super important. We don't. Again, I want to encourage you to supplementally look that up and to study it. But Azazel is a, a phrase that we often translate as scapegoat. These goats are going to perform one task, but it's going to take two of them. Eventually, it's going to be this. One of them for Yahweh is going to be sacrificed, and blood is going to be put in the Holy of Holies. The other one, the sins of Israel are going to be placed on it, and it's going to be sent out. More on that in a moment. The sin offering for the high priest, the bull is then sacrificed after this confession, placed on the burnt offering, blood is drained, blood is now taken into the Holy of Holies. As they go into, and you know the Holy of Holies, you know what that, can, can you think of the Ark of the Covenant? Maybe you saw Indiana Jones, you know the picture, okay, with the angels on the end. The place between the angels on that Ark is called the Mercy Seat, and that's where the blood is placed, on the Mercy Seat between the two angels. That's an important picture, and it's going to come back later in our message, so visualize that if you can. After he's made this atonement for himself, he's also then going to go out and make atonement for the people. That's going to be uh, the other goat, the goat for Yahweh. That blood is then taken, it's placed on the altar, then the blood of the bull and the goat is mixed, and as the high priest goes from the Holy of Holies into the holy place, he begins to anoint some of the furnishings in that area. This anointing, the smearing of blood on it, is to atone or to cover. The idea is that just because this temple has been in the place of sinful people and around sinful people, it needs to be atoned for, it needs to be cleansed. Uh, that's the picture. You're also going to see a picture of the mercies of God flooding the Holy of Holies and pouring out in just a, a little bit. He atones for the incense altar at this time. He atones for the burnt offerings. And then there is the scapegoat ritual. As he makes his way out from the Holy of Holies to the holy place, then to the, uh, the inner courts, he comes to the, uh, the goat that is for Azazel. The goat for Azazel, he then takes his hands and he confesses the sins of Israel on the goat. There's more to it uh, from Jewish literature that I'm not going to get into, but it is, it is pretty uh, interesting, some of the things that happen. The confession is placed on the goat and then someone leads the goat away. Now, early on, this happened a few times, according to Jewish history, that they sent the goat out, <laughs> get out of here, uh, go out to the desert places with the, remember, the sins of Israel is placed on them, and the goat came back. Friends, that's not a good sign. If, if you are a group of people who look for signs, that's not a good one. And so what they ended up doing then is someone would lead this goat out into the desert place onto a hill and they'd push the goat off so that it didn't come back. It was for Azazel. And it didn't come back. And then the high priest would come back and he would 
change his clothes. You can imagine the amount of blood that is on him from these sort of sacrifices, from handling these animals. So he goes to an area uh, in the inner courts that has a laver. A laver is like this big bowl of water. It's a, it's a brass vessel. It was brass so that they could see a reflection of themselves to see if they got all the, all the blood off of them. It was a cleansing that took place. It's a picture of sanctification, of being set apart, of being cleansed in the holy place. So he washes himself, and then he goes to the burnt offerings. His, this is where the rams uh, come into place. One of those rams is for the high priest, and his sin specifically, not just as the, in the office of high priest, but as, as the man who is in the office of the high priest. The sin is confessed, and... Uh, the animal is sacrificed, and then similarly for the people of God, the second animal is then sacrificed. And then there's cleanup. And you can imagine the amount of cleanup that that would take for these sorts of sacrifices, including taking the carcasses out, uh, not just of the temple, but out of Jerusalem into a desert place where uh, flies and... Um, well, I won't get into all of it, but it's taken care of that way. You can imagine the amount of cleanup. This is just a summary. This is not the details. This is the summary of what happens on the Day of Atonement. Why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because I want us to understand what Jesus did. Sometimes we like to skip to Easter Sunday and we miss all of the work that went into it. Now, unfortunately, for Israel, once the Day of Atonement happened, then it was just preparation for next year's Day of Atonement. Oh, got to keep track of my sins. Oh, was that a sin? Oh, I just can't please God. Well, hopefully I'll make it to the Day of Atonement where the high priest can confess our sins onto the scapegoat, where our sins can be taken care of through the sacrifices where the blood is placed on the mercy seat. Maybe, hopefully, I can make it that long. And you can imagine the weight. And Jesus reminds them to take his yoke, that it's light. And so let's again look at the temple. Imagine what has happened starting in the back of the temple and working its way through that there's a cleansing that has taken place, that God's presence is there, that God's people show up, and that God's mercy and his grace flow from the Holy of Holies all the way out through the gates into the nations. You see the picture. You see the flow of the work of the high priest as the mediator. Well, let's, let's look at Jesus Someone once said, and I, I've loved this statement, that Jesus is our all in all. He's not just the great physician, but he's also the great medicine that he prescribes. Jesus is our all in all. He's everything. He's not just a picture of some things. He is our everything. The early church called that sacramental life. That everything is a sacrament. It reminds us of the grace of God that is imputed onto us. And God's creation even reminds us of these truths. Throughout church history, 
we see that. Jesus is our all and all. And so let's take a look at Jesus as our all in all, especially as it relates to this day of atonement. We see this. Jesus is the perfect high priest. Jesus is the perfect high priest. Remember the high priest that had sin? He had to have a bull sacrifice for him. Does Jesus have to have a bull sacrifice for him? No, because he's sinless. So he's the perfect mediator between God and man. He is the one who actually can bring us together. He is God in the flesh. Hebrews 7, verse 26 and 27 says it this way. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Why don't we still do the Day of Atonement the way that it was practiced in the Old Testament and early in the New Testament? Is because it's not needed. Jesus did it once and for all. We don't have to anticipate the next one next year. Jesus is the high priest who perfectly executed it. And in perfectly executing it, he, he shows us that he is the all in all. And the weight of my sins is taken care of. It's not just covered. It's not just hidden. It's taken away as far as the east is from the west. Jesus' sacrifice ransoms us and cleanses us. So Jesus is not just the high priest, but he's also the sacrifice. And this sacrifice that he is ransoms us and cleanses us. In other words, he pays the price for us that we don't have to pay the price on our own. He goes to the cross that we don't have to go to the cross. Make sense? Look at it this way. Mark Chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus offers his life as a ransom. And then in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Boy, I, we could camp there for a long time. Earlier, I mentioned about is God doing something in our hearts? Is there something that, that, that needs cleansed, that the blood of Christ needs to be put on the mercy seat of our own heart? Is, is there something there that needs to be addressed? And will we allow God to do it? Well, this, this is a great reminder of that. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I'll tell you it happens to me often where people will come and they'll say things like this, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Do you think that your sin is better than, is greater than the sacrifice Jesus gave? Do you think that somehow your sin is stronger than what Jesus did at the cross? Do you, do you think that somehow you are worse, you are so much worse than what God offers in his best? Is that what you're saying? Well, when you put it like that, well, it's true though. And all of us have that. And maybe, maybe it's been something that happened to you that you've held on to and that has defined much of your life. In fact, to this point, now it's, it's so etched in who you are, you don't even think about it. You just, that's who you are. 
Jesus' sacrifice cleanses even that. Maybe it's an action you've done that has defined you. A sin that just keeps coming up in your head. Maybe it's a big one. Jesus cleanses even that. Someone said, uh, well, wait a minute, Kenny. Are you saying that if Adolf Hitler, if he asked Jesus into his life, if he repented before he died, that he'd be in heaven? And I say, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Adolf Hitler? Yeah, why? Because I think Jesus is bigger than Adolf Hitler. That's why. Because Jesus' sacrifice is greater than Adolf Hitler. That's why. And he's greater than me, and he's greater than you, and he's greater than us together, and he's greater than all of the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He's that great. He's amazing, and he can cleanse, and he does. And I've seen it too many times to think otherwise. And even if I hadn't, it's what Scripture says, and that's just good enough. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's important because Jesus' sacrifice ransoms us and it cleanses us. Not just that, but Jesus is our scapegoat. Consider this. The sins of mankind are laid on Christ, the Messiah, and he's sent off to death. Check this out. We see it in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Christ, the Messiah, the iniquity, the sin of us all. God has put the sin on Jesus, the Christ, on the cross. At the cross is the work of Jesus there. My sin is there. Your sin is there. Let's leave it there. Continuing on, Hebrews 10, verse 15 through 18 says it this way. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Did you catch that? One of the pictures of the scapegoat leaving the camp in Israel is this, that as far as the east is from the west, God remembers our sins no more. They're carried away. They're carried away. God's not holding them against us. It's taken care of at the cross. Jesus is our scapegoat. But not just that. Jesus' sacrifice is the ultimate expression of the Lord's love. The picture that we see in the tabernacle and the temple in the New Testament of God's love pouring down from the Holy of Holies through the holy place, through the inner courts, through the outer courts, through the gates, into the nations is the very same thing that God is doing in our own life and has done. Watch this. Jesus' sacrifice is the ultimate expression of the Lord's love. Watch this. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to, God, is there a way? He took care of it. Before we said anything, God took care of it. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
that, that is given. It's his love that is poured out. But specifically, I want to show you a picture. This is information. It's great, but I want you to see this picture. It's found in John chapter 20. It's an amazing picture uh, of what Jesus did, if we would have eyes to see it. Watch this. It's found in verse 11 and 12. This is after the crucifixion. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. Okay, so keep in mind, how many angels? Two. Two angels, and they're sitting. That's important. Look at the last phrase. One at the head and one at the feet. John is using some words that would, have, uh, that would have given a picture to the first century hearers, especially the Messianic believers. Watch. On the one hand is the Ark of the Covenant. Two angels, one at the head and one at the foot. The second picture to the left uh, is a, 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 a first century tomb or what it would look like in the first century, a first century tomb would look like. So when Mary stoops down, this is what she sees at one end is an angel, and on the other end is the other angel. But what of that middle place? That's where Jesus had laid. Consider the wounds that Jesus had and the blood that is placed on that, on that slab, the mercy seat of God. It is taken care of. God's love is poured out because Jesus is our all in all and he displays this in so many different ways. In fact, it's laced throughout scripture. We've highlighted four of maybe hundreds of examples that we could find in scriptures of Jesus being our all in all. We were created to glorify God. Though you and I fell short of this purpose, God loved us so much that he paid the price. And we can rest and that rest is soul deep. It's soul deep. I don't know what sort of burdens you came in with today, but I know that God has a plan. And that God's plan is the best plan. And a part of that plan is to atone. I don't know what dark places are in your own heart today. Things that you have held on to. Sin that you thought was too great. A life that you thought couldn't be redeemed, but I want you to know that Jesus is bigger than that. And he atoned for that. That we could have a right relationship with God. That that blood would be placed on the mercy seat of our hearts. That that would be applied in our lives. That we could live out this grace and love of God to the nations and the world around us. Maybe something is going on in your own life, like you're trying really hard and things aren't working. And maybe God wants to show you something about himself and something that's happening inside your own heart. Baptism is coming up. It's a beautiful picture of our sin being washed away. We are cleansed in Christ and we live in Jesus now without burden. Because of God's work. The worship team's going to come forward, and as they're coming, I, I, I want to prepare our hearts for communion. This is, uh, this is significant. 
the early church gathered, and a, a main part of their gathering was communion. They called it the Eucharist. That means Thanksgiving. They were thankful for what had happened. Are you thankful? Thinking of the weight of our sin and what it caused, what had to happen for us to be atoned for, and how Jesus ultimately fulfills that completely. Some in the early church went flippantly into communion. By flippantly, they, you know, it's bread and it's, it's juice or wine. and Okay, let's, let's take it and move on. And there were consequences to that. Paul states in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that there are some who fall asleep and some who get sick because they've entered flippantly into this, into this communion. And what he prescribes us to do is this. Is there any unconfessed sin that needs to be addressed in our hearts? In our lives, are we embracing some sin that needs to be confessed? And once that's confessed, then we can participate uh, with a clean conscience, knowing that this body was broken for us and this blood was shed that we could have life. And so we participate together at, at Friendship. You'll notice that there are four stations in the room, and we want to encourage you in just a few moments to take some time to just ask the Spirit of God, is there, is there any dark place of my soul? Is there any place that needs to be cleansed? Is there any place that is not dedicated to you and to your service? And if so, Lord, would, would you do that work and confess it specifically? Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's, it's just being selfish. Or maybe it's specific. I hurt somebody. I wounded somebody. Lord, forgive me. After you've spent some time with the Lord, we want to encourage you to get both the cup and the bread. Return to your seat, and after we worship, we'll participate together. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we do love you and we praise you. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you are indeed at work in this place. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would cleanse us and we confess our, our, our sinful ways before you. Those times where we choose ourselves over you, forgive us, O oh Lord. And we ask that you would be exalted and that you would be lifted up and we are thankful for your amazing sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.